Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today has spent over 25 years in leadership positions in the professional services industry. He now heads in one of the biggest professional services organization in the world, not in one, but in a number of countries. His specialty lies firmly in the telecommunications industry. And this conversation will be about communications, electronic or otherwise, services and leadership and the developments over time. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Dr. Kyriakos Sabatakakis is the country head for Accenture Greece, with responsibilities for several markets in southeastern Europe, overseeing a practice of more than 1,500 consultants. He has held his position since September 2003 and has led multiple projects, both in Greece and internationally, on strategy, business transformation, technology, operations, and digital entrepreneurship, all of this done in leading corporations and organizations. From 2003 to 2008, Kyriakos was responsible for Accenture's global mobile network business and even worked for many years with Anderson Consulting in Zurich, as well as a number of high-tech companies in Switzerland. His impressive academic record includes a Bachelor of Science from Yale University, a Master's from Dartmouth College, and a Doctorate at the National Technical University of Athens, all in electrical engineering and economics. He's a known speaker on the circuit, both regionally and internationally, and is also a moderator in multiple CEO summits. Let's now have a conversation with Kyriakos. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kyriakos to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. My pleasure, and thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you for being with me today. Um, okay, I think it would be a good start to start with your specialist area. You have worked in this space industry for a number of years, telecommunications, decades even, uh, and in leadership positions. I, I would like for you to give me your thoughts on the promise of 5G. Never before have we so needed the telecommunications technology that we have today, one cannot imagine the economy, what the economy would have looked like, been like, if not for the ability to transact and work remotely as we have been doing for the last what's it, 18 to 24 months. So the promise of 5G and smart cities, what, it, what excites you about the, the capabilities of this technology, not just in a work environment, but in our everyday lives? Yeah, well, you know, thank you very much for the question. I think, you know, we've all been very used to seeing the various uh, evolutions of, of mm -hmm. the cellular networks uh, from 2G to 3G and so on. And now we have 5G and many people think that it's just a regular evolution uh, of what we've been having and what we've been seeing so far. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I think 5G is distinctly different. Uh, it's more than just the next generation of mobile uh, technology. It's, uh, it's a pretty fundamental shift because it brings together not only ultra high speed data uh, speeds, but also low latency, uh, which was not necessarily the case before, and high device connection density. That's, that's one big advantage of 5G. Secondly, uh, 5G can be thought of as a network of networks that gives the opportunity to create 
agile, purpose-built networks tailored to the different needs, uh, uh, whether they are you know, consumer needs, citizen needs, mm -hmm. uh, company needs, whatever, um, uh, whatever you have. So to me, these two letters, 5G, actually stand for a number of things that include um, things like Internet of Things, uh, Industry X, and there's a lot of discussion about, you know, 5G can actually help uh, industrial world, uh, mm -hmm. edge connectivity and so on and so forth. So it's just a, a tip of the iceberg about, you know, a number of things that, uh, that we can expect and look forward to, to having soon. So, so you believe we're pretty much at the start of all of this and we are nowhere near what you really believe and understand the capability can be. That's what I'm getting from you. Yeah, that's correct. And I think um, you, you, you said the context uh, um, correctly in the sense that now we're experiencing exponential rise of connectivity mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 5G is going to help that, but it's going to allow, enable uh, a lot of intelligence on, on top of network, real-time intelligence. Just, I mean, imagine mm -hmm. about smart manufacturing or medical applications uh, or telemedicine. Uh, we're talking about uh, robotic surgery nowadays that can be done even remotely. Uh, different different uh, areas like transportation and road safety, you know, the self-driving cars that we're all talking about, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to need uh, the, the presence of uh, uh, 5G to provide the full service that, uh, that they can provide, and so on and so forth. So the list is really endless. Um, and uh, we actually conducted a study uh, in Greece a couple of years ago uh, to go through all that. And uh, uh, it's amazing also what expectations different businesses have. Uh, regarding 5G. Everybody is looking forward to that, to unleash all this creativity. All right, so it's, it's more than a, a telecommunications upgrade. It's going to underpin many things. I mean, you, you talked about biomedicine, you talked about that sort of area. It's going to underpin quite a few things. And I've always heard, every time people talking about 5G in conversation, they sort of talk about 5G and smart cities and smart cities and 5G. They sort of, you know, the, the two are never sort of that far from each other. Um, in terms of my understanding of 5G um, how, and smart cities, I should say, how feasible is it to establish the, the smart city that, that, my, that I understand in established European countries in comparison to, say, Dubai and Saudi Arabia or, or areas like that where they, they sort of have a, you know, a blank sheet of paper to work from? Right, exactly. So there's no uh, blank sheet of paper in Europe. Um, no. So, so we kind of need to uh, retrofit uh, our cities and our municipalities. And this is what's happening because, you know, the smart city concept even before 5G mm -hmm. uh, uh, was, was there. So, I mean, this is something that's already started and 5G is only going to accelerate it. Um, and why, why is this happening and why is this needed is, well, on the one hand, it's going to bring efficiency. For example, in the energy space, we're talking about grid efficiency mm -hmm. or in the transportation space. You know, trying to avoid traffic jams and so on, yeah. uh, but also safety. And I would say uh, in Europe, in addition to uh, uh, improving the capabilities in the industrial sector, I think we're very much looking forward to improving the quality of life uh, of all citizens. I mean, this is uh, one of the main things, and that's why I think the European Commission is actually, uh, through the, uh, the European Recovery Fund now, putting up money to fund uh, smart city uh, initiatives. Yeah. Um, on the other side, you know, as Accenture, we did a, we did a study uh, this year on the impact of 5G uh, on the European economy. And we saw that it, uh, um, and smart city is one of the uh, big ticket items, let's say under 5G. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
we we were able to uh, to estimate that this would add up to one trillion euros to the European GDP in the next three years, um, and this could impact uh, up to twenty million jobs and, and transform even more. Uh, not taking into account the impact that this would have in the broader ICT space, where we estimate an additional trillion mm -hmm. uh, creating the economy. So this is a very overarching kind of impact uh, across yeah. the board. Yeah. Um, and, and, it's, and it's there to be to be done. Did, did the study look at how this will create jobs versus how this will reduce certain roles? Did you do a comparison to see? Yeah, we get asked this uh, quite often, as a matter of fact, especially, I mean, not only with 5G, but also with AI and yeah. uh, robotics and all the other technologies. And yeah. I, I think our collective conclusion is that at the end of the day, just as with previous uh, technologies, uh, the net addition of, of jobs is, uh, is positive. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I mean, people need to embrace the change. Yes. If people are resistant to change and are technophobic, uh, then, you know, there's an issue. <laughs> so I guess part of our role as Accenture has been to try to, uh, to convince clients and, and people and executives uh, what this uh, technological change can bring, mm -hmm. not just as a threat, but an opportunity. And I think, you know, 5G is one such opportunity. All right. Okay. And, and just you know, specifically for Greece, um, what would you like to see um, in terms of smart city development? Yeah, Greece uh, will follow the rest of Europe. Um, I think uh, um, one of the one of the concepts that uh, Greece is trying to market uh, globally is the is the quality of life uh, mm -hmm. that we have in this country. Mm -hmm. So, to the extent that we can enable smart living uh, through smart cities and combining things like uh, culture. Mm -hmm. uh, wellness and health, I would say, plus, you know, the, the new silver economy, given the aging of the population, both in Greece yeah. and the rest of Europe, um, you know, enabling such a smart living concept through a smart city concept uh, is something that will be very desirable in Greece. And, um, you know, there's various uh, activities on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and we also have kind of a mini green field, I'm saying mini compared to the Middle East, um, in Athens, because uh, some some of the listeners might be aware that uh, the former um, Athens airport, the Hellenicon airport, uh, which uh, has now moved, uh, is being developed. So it's going to be a new city within the city in Athens uh, by the by the seafront, and this is definitely going to be a sophisticated, smart city. Oh, right. okay. So that's something to to look out for. And, and this kind of nicely leads on to to the next question. You've been working on this product, um, Destination Greece project, and I gathered with some pride about the results um, that have come out of it. So please tell my listeners all about this. What is the drive for this? What is being done within this project? Who are the investors and what are they looking for? The current status and what will success look like for you and the various stakeholders involved? Right. The Destination Greece project is um, is a project that um, got started by the Federation of Hellenic Enterprises, is the Federation of, of, of Greek uh, industry and Greek companies, mm -hmm. uh, and and we were asked actually to conduct a, a study, uh, but it was um, initiated um, back of the fact that actually a lot of uh, foreign multinationals were starting to invest in Greece. 
Uh, ourselves as Accenture have already invested more than 10 years ago, creating one of our European centers of excellence in artificial intelligence and analytics, which is still going strong. And then we had other multinationals like uh, Pfizer, the, the pharmaceutical company that establishing is one of its global digital centers in Northern Greece. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Microsoft um, already announcing early in the year and already uh, started to implement a huge uh, regional data center infrastructure. So uh, we said, uh, hold on a second, you know, here is something's happening here. So we need to analyze what's happening and how can we actually uh, help uh, the country attract even more. And what we realized was happening was that uh, A, the business environment in Greece had significantly improved and this was visible to the outside world. I mean, mm -hmm. taxation, corporate taxation had dropped to 22%, dividend taxation had dropped to 5%, so very attractive uh, taxation framework. Mm -hmm. On the other side, there is, a, and there was, and there still is, um, a global war for talent. And, and people discovered, just as we in Accenture discovered more than 10 years ago that there's great talent that we could um, use in Greece, mm -hmm. uh, all the other multinationals discovered the same thing. So they came to Greece for the talent. So educated people, we have one of the highest percentage of university graduates in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, so, and they want to take advantage of that because it's the biggest challenge, I'm sure, with the other exec executives that you discuss. This is one of the major challenges of our era. Mm -hmm. uh, to find the right talent. Mm -hmm. So putting all this together, um, we, uh, we analyze the situation and um, um, we also try to address the vibrant uh, Greek diaspora that is uh, quite extensive yep. uh, in various European countries as well as in the US and Australia and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and then we analyze what it takes in terms of digital skills, in terms of uh, digital infrastructure, uh, digital ecosystems and so on and so forth, in addition to the usual investment criteria around uh, you know, tax, quality of life and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we thought that it was a big case uh, for Greece and this is what we wanted to showcase uh, mm -hmm. through so, so you're saying sort of one of your secret assets is the, your resource uh, and the people themselves. Correct. Uh, correct. Exactly. Like Switzerland. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, you know, having lived in Switzerland for many years, I see many parallels here. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, you know, I have to say also that uh, at the academic level, uh, there's a lot of work uh, that gets done. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, due to lack of uh, large scale, precisely large scale corporations uh, present in Greece to be able to take advantage of that, a lot of that uh, stays mm -hmm. unutilized. So there's, there's potential on all sides, I think. And, uh, and, you know, talking about a measure of success that, that you asked me before, mm -hmm. I'd say, uh, given that uh, uh, pre-COVID foreign direct investment in Greece was uh, only of the order of 4.5 billion, mm -hmm. Uh, I think the objective here is to uh, to be able to triple that uh, in mm -hmm. the coming years, mm -hmm. and we believe it's something sustainable for the country. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I suspect digitalization is one of the key as well, because you said there's not necessarily large-scale corporations there. That doesn't necessarily need to be there now with the effort of digitalization and the growth of digitalization. You still can grow um, without having the bricks and mortar of large-scale um, businesses being within Greece itself is surely absolutely and the whole point was to how was uh, exactly how to attract the digital the so-called digital MNEs the digital yeah. national enterprises yeah 
Exactly. Okay. Um, let, let's talk a bit about the professional services business. Um, the first question is, is about the phenomenal growth in the industry as a result of the pandemic. I mean, who would have thought? So, so why, in your opinion, is the industry booming after the pandemic? What are you seeing? And generally, what are being asked by clients? Yeah, no, this is uh, um, the common knowledge that the pandemic has been an accelerator of sorts. Um, all fronts. Mm -hmm. And uh, this has uh, accelerated a digitization wave that was there even beforehand, but uh, uh, picked up a lot of speed. So uh, I'm not aware of any company anywhere at this point that is not thinking of, you know, doing some kind of level of digital transformation, uh, which was not the case before the pandemic. Mm. Um, and this includes governments. Yes. Um, so um, one of the things that uh, the companies realized uh, during the pandemic um, was, first of all, that they needed to act fast. Uh, they needed to protect themselves. They needed to achieve uh, results quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think as soon as they understood how to do that, that, that's the threat part. They started looking also at the opportunity part. So they started saying, you know, wait a second. Now that uh, we're, uh, we know what it means to operate in the digital economy. How about inventing new business models and, and mm -hmm. creating new products and services? So, so basically what we've been seeing was that before the pandemic, the base scenario, we had, you had some physical activity aided by digital. Uh, nowadays, we see exactly the, the opposite, that the base scenario is that let's um, try to do everything digitally yes. and not where needed, let's do the physical yes. thing. Right, so it's a complete uh, rethinking of, of how businesses operate. Um, and I think this is why um, help and support from outside professionals was called in. Mm. And this is why this helped us a lot. I mean, I mean, Accenture, as, as, as your listeners probably know, um, um, identifies itself very much with the digital world and the digital economy. So, um, so this is, so we, you know, we, mm -hmm. we experience a lot of a lot of demand around this space, and if I if I to answer your question mm -hmm. uh, around you know um, uh, specifically what is being asked by clients, I would say uh, first thing that clients ask is digitization in client-facing operations. Yeah, the first, and, and as soon as they try to get that under control, then they look at uh, inward-facing processes, and then. You know, they want to leverage everything, the latest that technology has to offer from clouds to AI, mm -hmm. to robotics, to, mm -hmm. you know, everything, mm -hmm. all the tools. of. The so, I mean, one great thing about the pandemic is that also people in companies understand and realize that uh, technology is easily accessible, even very sophisticated technology, easily accessible across the world. It's not the case that, uh, you know, we had years ago when you had to, you know, less developed countries had to wait yeah. before they could see technology. Mm. And, you know, something you said, I just wanted to pick up on that, says, you know, while the, ex the external help was needed and was requested, um, did that require some, I don't know, quick training and development within the professional services organization in order to deliver this help? Um, let's say that the, the professional services industry, which was much better prepared uh, for what the pandemic brought compared to the rest mm -hmm. of the economy, right? So we were all ahead of the curve uh, because we were working half remotely, you know, 
yeah. already. Yeah. So we, we knew what it meant. So we were we had uh, uh, we had maps on about how to digitize processes and so on and so forth. Yeah. So this was something that we knew quite well. Mm. So I, I think the challenge was how to transpose that to the to the to the rest of the economy. So from that point of view, it didn't affect it, it affected us in other ways. Yeah. Uh, it affected in other ways because you know. Yeah, and, and I think we will go into greater detail about how that has uh, affected you and then perhaps hold the thought there because I want to talk about that okay. later. So let's look directly at Accenture. Um, what developments would you like to share with my listeners in this space? Sort of what growth plans have been communicated and, and how does this differ with the different countries under your leadership? I'd be interested to find out your answer about this one. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, um, we closed our first quarter of uh, our fiscal year, end of November, and we announced the uh, quarterly results a few days ago. Um, and, uh, and the result was that Accenture announced an increase of 27% in revenues, which really was uh, stunning in terms of number. This is a number mm -hmm. that uh, I guess we hadn't seen in a long time. I don't know when it was the last time we actually saw such a number. Um, and this is not just one part of the business, it's the entire business that is growing, let's say, at, the, at this rate. So, um, so this is telling us that there's a big demand of professional services uh, right now. Um, uh, of course, you know, Accenture has its specificity, so I don't know how it compares to, to, to the rest of the market, to the rest of the professional services uh, uh, mm -hmm. market. But, uh, but certainly, we've, we're a company that keeps um, constantly transforming itself ahead of the curve to be able to be uh, relevant. I mean, we spoke about uh, digital transformation that we already initiated globally many, many years ago. Now we're into the kind of next stage of digital transformation with connected industries, uh, industry X, mm -hmm. uh, and, and all the new stuff uh, that is uh, coming. Um, so uh, let me say for us, the defining moment is when we trigger um, internally this internal change ahead of the curve. And I, I think, you know, it's testament to the ability of Accenture to do such a thing because, you know, we've been doing now for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, mind you, I mean, now it's a company that has more than 650,000 people. So to be able to effect change in a company of this size uh, so quickly um, is uh, still something impressive. Mm -hmm. But this is what, uh, what keeps us uh, really up to date and allows us to provide the services we provide to the market. Okay, okay, thanks for that. I'm going to move on, um, probably because I'm really interested in this one. Uh, it's really an interesting one. Uh, and as someone that has spent nearly two decades in the professional service business, I'd be keen to hear your insights into this question. It's about the changes in the business and, and what the future will look like. So uh, what do you think are the inevitable changes? What are you seeing? And what are the associated risks there? Yeah, the, the, the professional services industry is changing uh, because the world is changing as we described it. Mm -hmm. um, so we, and still, so we've been riding a wave of disruption. And one thing that we realize, um, it's, it's a bit like the pandemic. In the beginning, we thought that the disruption would going to be uh, just for a yes. moment in time. But then we realize that it's a uh, it's a never-ending disruption, right? So it's the new normal somehow. Mm -hmm. um, so this this meant that uh, we had to become um, agile for the sake of our clients. We had to help our clients become agile. Um, 
we in the past we were driven very much. I mean, we'd go into a client uh, uh, into a client meeting, and the client would say, "Okay, can you please tell us what are the best practices yeah. in our industry, in our sector, and so on and so forth." You know, now with all this disruption happening, nobody knows what is the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the whole point is, how are you able to co-create with a client, right? So how are you able to to muster and master talent? Uh, quickly around the table together with the best talent from the client to co-create the trial and error that we all know about. Mm -hmm. So it's not a question of uh, charting a big, huge transformation and, and wait, you know, a couple of years because it, before it materializes, because it's going to be irrelevant two years later. Mm -hmm. So the, the point is, how do you quickly uh, do things, right? So this means changing the way that uh, we perform services for our clients. Then um, the other point is that clients demand results. They, they do not care so much for studies, analysis, and so on and so forth, which obviously we have to do, uh, right? Because otherwise we're not going to have the background to be able to, to help mm -hmm. in a mm -hmm. transfer. But at the end of the day, they demand results and they're asking us to also take part of the risk for the results. Mm -hmm. I would say that if you, a few years back, uh, we would propose uh, such cooperation scheme to clients on our own and clients would be reluctant. Now clients come to us on their own and say, you know, we'd like to do something new. Are you willing to share some risk? And this is again, a fundamental uh, shift on, on how, you know, professional services are being uh, delivered. Um, another less obvious thing that maybe I'd like to, it's worth highlighting. Mm -hmm. uh, we live in a digital world and digital, one thing that it does, it produces endless data. Uh, which is which is good actually because this can help companies um, understand better their themselves and their business. So uh, one of the things that we realized early on in Accenture is that uh, many times uh, data knows more about a function, a business, a process than we do. Mm -hmm. So we've been trying to um, uncover the value of data to our clients, but we've also been trying to train our people to discover this value in data. So this has been a core part of how we develop our consultants, which was not the case many, many years ago, right? So this is a fundamental shift. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a there's a lot there. I'm just, I'm, I kind of want to dissect elements of what, what you, you've said. You know, what I'm thinking is what will be the most challenging part of this change? You talked about co-creating and you know, I, I've been out of this business for um, you know just under a decade, and I remember it was more leading, guiding, shadowing, and helping them, not sort of in parallel co-creating. So that's a fundamental change in my understanding of it. And the other thing you talked about was um, you need to make the clients agile. How do you go about doing that? Because some of the clients they're very traditional, you know. The, the good old fashioned clients, how do you convert them into changing their practices to becoming a more agile operation without completely potentially culturally changing them? And the last point is you talked about the data. Well, it's all well and good having the data, but how do you make them use it appropriately for their business and in a positive functional way? I'm probably throwing three separate things at you there. Pick one of them and sort of answer if you like. Yeah, um, on 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 the first one, and uh, and maybe we can uh, we can come back to it uh, um, with more yeah. detail. But I think on the on the agility, on the 
on our client side. I think as soon as people understand what digital is all about, because digital is all about agility, right? Mm -hmm. You cannot have one without the other. So you cannot be digital without being agile. As, as soon as they realize, uh, they put in motion, um, you know, the change that is needed. And it's a difficult change because they need to break the silos inside the company. They need yeah. to create teams that, that are co-responsible. This is not something that is very usual. That's or, a cultural change. It's a big cultural change. Uh, but this is, this is how we drive also digital change um, in, in our clients' uh, culture. And I've seen, uh, you know, um, uh, companies, let me take an example so from the cement industry, right? You never think that uh, uh, they would be uh, going for such, but they're going for such a change because mm -hmm. they realize that they also need to change mm -hmm. um, is what I was referring to before. Mm -hmm. um, and then on, on data, I think there's multiple aspects. I mean, first of all, data, you'd be able to collect, model and analyze data yes. uh, in an appropriate way so as to be able to extract value out of it, right? Because then if you do that properly, you're able to see trends, you're able to see information, you're able to see profiles that were just there, but were hidden, right? So mm -hmm. our job is to be able to help our clients utilize that to extract more value. Obviously, you know, data being a very sensitive topic, it needs to be handled properly, yeah. right? Because there's also uh, other aspects around um, what data one should be having access to, security of data and so on and so forth, um, which, you know, is, is another important thing of how uh, you want, one should go about it uh, because, you know, this can have other repercussions, unwanted repercussions. Mm. Do, do you think that, you know, Accenture, I'm, I'm of a professional services organization, do you think that you're going to become more of an, an educator for your clients? Well, we do in a sense by working together. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's not our style to be speaking from a podium. Uh, yeah. so we actually roll up the sleeves uh, and work together with our clients. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is where we uh, see our place, mm -hmm. uh, and it works uh, very very well. And this is, I think, what we will continue doing as part of our DNA. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, Accenture is known for sort of rolling their sleeves up and getting on with it in, in terms of the, the delivery. So, can you predict the look of professional services in sort of ten to twenty years' time, Kyriakos? Yeah, this is uh, very difficult to say. I don't even know if you can predict anything. <laughs> ten or twenty years. <laughs> can you hazard a guess? We, we won't hold you to it in twenty years' time. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, let me say. Um, uh, now I'm 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 venturing into something that is uh, maybe very futuristic, but uh, I don't know if and Please how. hypothesize. I'm interested. Yeah, you know. Now I'm I've, um, I think that what we're going to start experiencing uh, what I call the deconstruction and the reconstruction of business going forward, uh -huh. um, which uh, you know, and this this ties in with the agile concept a lot because. One of the things that we discovered with Agile is that business is made up of atomic elements combined under an Agile methodology, right? So in this sense, uh, in this sense, what one needs to do is to, to uh, first of all, to have the right, let me say, orchestration layer uh, on top of these atomic elements, but then decide um, how to get support. Right, and uh, all of a sudden, the the I would say the addressable space for professional services becomes enormous. Right. So, um, 
if if um, if I would be if the question would be if I would be positive about the growth of professional services and you know even looking at Accenture, such a big company nowadays, who would have thought it would be this big, right? Mm -hmm. we, I would guess that's most likely yes. I think you know there's a lot of mileage uh, out there for professional services. All right. Okay. I, I don't know. I just I got a sort of a, um, a view that it might shrink. Um, in, in terms of the role because of digitalization, because of tech development. Okay, um, right. A, a favorite on Head's talk, this is this next one. It's about the, the, the players on, on the executive table. Are you seeing changes in synergies and, and interactions between the different C-suites, especially with the, the advent of various hot topics? You know, you've even had the advent of the new chief digital officer in some organizations. How are the executive table roles morphing, do you think? Yeah, well, first of all, we're all aware about uh, the challenges that organizations are, are being confronted with. I mean, obviously the pandemic, but oh. also you know, environmental concerns. Uh, mm -hmm. We discussed about digital, new technologies, uh, uh, consumer sentiment also changing. Uh, so, you know, yes. companies trying to adjust. Yes. So. Uh, Nevertheless, I think that um, some of the uh, uh, overarching priorities for the C-suite are still there, meaning that they still need to deliver value, reduce uh, operating costs, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to find the right balance uh, across people, process, and technology to sustain mm -hmm. that growth, mm -hmm. but also be uh, future-ready in the sense that we explained before around you know creating an agile environment and so on and so forth. So in this space, uh, we definitely see new roles emerging and, and, and the chief digital officer is one that's actually been around now for quite some time. I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's a novelty at this point, right? Because many, many organizations have already uh, adopted that. And uh, maybe one can put under digital everything that has to do with technology and um, yeah. possibly also data, right? Um, because people are also taking special focus on, on creating the right organizational entities around data. Mm -hmm. um, we see, obviously, you know, the, the I would call them the revenue generating um, CXOs uh, are high on the agenda, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also have, uh, let me say, the new, a new kind of um, a new kind of HR uh, officers uh, who deal more with people engagement, uh, who deal more with uh, diversity. Mm -hmm. So you, new. Uh, new roles that are mandated mm -hmm. by today's uh, societies and today's economies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of course, not to uh, not to forget uh, the chief innovation officers. That uh, at mm -hmm. this point, innovation is not not just technological innovation, but it's also business innovation. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to add to this. I was going to move on swiftly, but I'm I'm going to add to this. Do you not see an expansion in the role, for instance, of a, a chief security officer, more so in the, in the digital space as things get more and more advanced? Do you, do you feel that's going to happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yes, definitely. I think uh, organizations more and more realize the important, importance of uh, security, cybersecurity in particular, mm -hmm. uh, and how this uh, can uh, be a major disruptor of business yes. uh, if you don't take care of that. And this can really shut down um, huge corporations. I suppose they will get an expanded um, budget 
for the, their work. Okay, let, let's yeah. move on. Let's move on. I, I, I want to end this episode of Ed's talk on um, leadership post the pandemic. Um, how has it changed? Um, how have you changed, um, Kiriakos? So, what have you noticed, and how is leadership seen today? Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh, a question that's been plaguing all of us uh, mm. since the beginning of the pandemic. I think one one of the uh, of the things that uh, we didn't know uh, whether it was going to work out or not was whether we would be able to continue performing uh, the way we performed before the pandemic. Mm. And uh, this means not only just us, but also, you know, all our people and executives and uh, everybody. Um, and uh, I, I would say, you know, up until now, things have been going well, but, you know, we're not out of the pandemic yet. So let's... Uh, let's make that uh, balance, you know, after yes. the, the whole story is over. Um, however, I think, you know, some fundamental questions came up. Uh, one is, what does it mean to belong in an organization anymore? Mm -hmm. um, a big question mark. Mm -hmm. uh, how does one develop the cultural DNA? I mean, we in Accenture have very strong uh, company uh, DNA. And our question was, you know, how would we be able to develop that in the new context mm -hmm. for people? Uh, how can you inspire others remotely? So all yeah. these questions are fundamental questions because this is what uh, makes a difference between success and failure many times. And uh, I think another realization was the fact that uh, whereas before we're talking about kind of a work-life uh, dichotomy, mm -hmm. now we see a work-life continuum. And what does that mean, mm -hmm. right? How does it impact people psychologically? So big questions um, that, uh, that we all experienced and, you know, we cannot say that, you know, everything has been addressed 100%, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, as they're still, they're still there. The things have sort of fundamentally changed because, you know, before the pandemic, I think people are going to start using this language before the pandemic and after the pandemic, before the pandemic, in the old norm, when we talked about work-life balance, we all sort of had an understanding of it. It means that you spend this amount of time of work and then you switch off and spend a little bit that time with your family or that, that time, in, you know, away from work and you sort of work out the balances there even though some, you know, uh, even in professional services, we brought some of our work home, but you, you, there was still a sort of a divide. Now, in the middle of the pandemic, because we're not over yet, as you mentioned, in the middle of it, we're still trying to work out the work-life balance. Should we spend three days at work and two days at home? And before, and it was always a five-day work and then find some time at home. Now, as a leader, my question is, as a leader, um, what what are you, what, what what do you say to people that reassures those that feel that now it things are a little bit different? I'm not sure if I want to be five days at work. I'd rather spend I don't know three four days at work and two days at home doing what I need to do. Um, how easy is it for a leader to um, make sure they get the right message across so that the people are comfortable with what's been said and are agreeable with what's been said? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, obviously, um, just to, to expand a bit uh, on, on, on your question and on, on your thinking, one of the things that happened, another phenomenon that happened during the pandemic is also because we couldn't go outside when there was a lockdown and stuff. Mm 
mm-hmm. they actually had nothing else that they wanted to do, right? So they uh, they continued working uh, just because you know they were they were in front of a computer screen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and this might have created a um, a feeling of a burnout to some. So they you know people obviously need to take time off, uh, even digitally. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't work. In the long run, it doesn't work. Um, so now, you know, we're thinking also uh, in, in our local practice here, uh, post-pandemic, how are we going to operate? And mm. uh, yes, we're going towards the formula of uh, three plus two. Also, because, you know, uh, you need to somehow be physically uh, within a territory. Otherwise, uh, you, yeah. you understand there's also other labor and, and tax uh, implications that uh, become quite unmanageable otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so to keep the company culture, to keep the connections that you need with your team and with your clients, but at the same time, have um, the freedom to operate digitally that we gained over the pandemic. So not mm-hmm. to lose you know, what we also gained from this uh, story. Mm-hmm. But how does this affect, how does the whole post-pandemic affect you and your leadership, um, Kyriko? Uh, well, you know, from my point of view, I try to communicate as much as I can uh, with uh, the executives in the company and then the rest of the company as well. So mm-hmm. that's uh, one thing. Um, but uh, I think uh, um, one of the, uh, um, as I said before, one of the points is that you're not sure of the impact mm-hmm. of the communication. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's uh, people of my close team with who I speak, you know, on a daily basis, and uh, we need to interact with clients, we need to deliver projects, and so on and so forth. So there's a machine that needs to run, and that takes care of itself. Mm. Uh, however, we don't know yet the kind of longer-term effects. Mm. This so what does it talk to you about yourself? Um, well, I have to say... One positive thing of the pandemic is that uh, I didn't have to travel so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're so, <arguing> there. <laughs> so that was, I think, many many of us in this profession uh, probably relished that, and and we realized um, how many meetings were uh, maybe not so necessary in the past. Yes, doable but, via Zoom, sort of thing. Exactly. So, uh, and and that's a good thing. That's a positive thing because. It's not just us saying that, but to also our clients saying yes. it at the same time. Yes. So, yes. so, so that's a, that's a positive change. Um, on the other side, I do miss the uh, physical contact, both mm. with mm. Uh, clients. Uh, although I have to say that the executives of our clients uh, are generally open uh, for meetings, uh, obviously the pandemic mm. permitting. Um, it's more difficult at the levels below. Uh, mm-hmm. where they mandate sometimes also because of the restrictions, they mandate people to work from home. Um, so uh, this is something that I definitely miss. Um, and I feel that uh, um, I'm, I'm missing out also on, on, on things, on mm. new things uh, I could be doing if I wouldn't have lost, let's say, this uh, physical contact. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, we still try to put our ingenuity to work. <laughs> we don't... Uh, <laughs> As we must do. Um, yeah. Yeah, just the, the, the final part of uh, this sort of leadership sets of questions. You know, what do you think are the traits that will be sought after and definitely required in the leaders of tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a very fundamental question there. And uh, we've tried uh, 
as Accenture to uh, sort of analyze what leadership DNA we wanted to, uh, to support. And that was already before the pandemic, but I think it's, it's totally relevant. And we based it on, on five pillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, one pillar is uh, that we want leaders to have the uh, intellectual curiosity to be able to experiment uh, and innovate for results. Mm-hmm. Um, embracing diversity as a source of creativity. I mean, that's that's one thing that we we definitely want to uh, to see and reinforce in our leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the other thing is we expect our leaders to be able to uh, um, articulate an inspiring vision. You know, everybody's talking about is talking about purpose nowadays, yeah. um, and we have our own purpose statement. Um, so, you know, th- this is important because people nowadays. Uh, the, the, the purpose for which the work is equally important to you know everything else around mm-hmm. the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, third point that we also learned from the pandemic is how a leader actually orchestrates uh, collaboration uh, within teams, across teams, across companies actually, mm-hmm. right? How, how does one reach outside to other partners to, mm-hmm. to make things happen? Um, Then we discussed about agility. So I think one trait would be uh, how a leader is able to execute uh, with with agility. Mm -hmm. Then even in the absence of uh, perfect data, because that's another thing that we learned from the pandemic, you cannot have all the data before you take a decision, Mm -hmm. right? And I would say last but not least is how to function in what we call a truly human way. Uh, So to create an environment where People can be at their best every day mm-hmm. um, because, you know, uh, otherwise we're not going to be enabling people. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I find these traits as being, uh, and obviously I would add a sixth element that we sort of discussed uh, about, but to, to make it more explicit, I think a modern leader needs to be tech savvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology is not just a supporting thing anymore. I think it's clear mm-hmm. to everyone. It's pretty much core. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being tech savvy is a must, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've picked up collaboration, um, learning, being current in terms of technology knowledge, and creating a healthy environment. Dr. Kyria Kosabatakakis, it's been a delightful conversation. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.